If we were playing a game of plugged in bingo, some of the squares on the board might be words like discernment, engagement, conversation, wisdom, intentionality, and of course, screen time. It would probably be right there in the middle. Maybe we'd even give that one to you for free. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. I don't know about you, but honestly, sometimes I get just a little bit weary of the phrase screen time. (laughs) It feels like we talk about screen time all the time. But I have to admit, we talk about it all the time because this isn't a problem that's going away and it's not getting any easier. And here's another admission. This is not just an issue for the kids, right? It's easy to pick on mm-hmm. the kids. Oh, those kids those and their kids. screens. <laughs> those young people today. Those youth. Those whippersnappers. Exactly. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Get off my, and take your <laughs> smartphone with you. But lots of us as parents, as professionals, as people serving in ministry roles, whatever your role might be, we might struggle with too much screen time as well. I was recently on my phone and my daughter poked me and said, dad, put your phone down. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I think perhaps oh, this man. is maybe a little bit bad. That's awesome. <laughs> so this week we're going to talk to someone who wants to help us identify some of the core issues involved with screen time and think about how to move toward freedom. His name is David Murrow. And he has spent a lot of years actually working in the entertainment industry with those very screens before he realized he had a problem and wanted to make some changes in his life. So in our first segment, Paul Acey will talk to David about his book, Drowning in Screen Time, and how all of our families can make some positive changes in this area. And in our second segment, as you might have guessed, Paul Acey and Jonathan McKee are here to talk about the latest and almost perhaps the last Mission Impossible movie. It's called Dead Reckoning Part One. And I'm guessing that that part one is sort of the dead ringer for the fact that- Yeah, it's sort of a spoiler right there. uh, You know, perhaps this isn't the end of the story just yet. Uh, And we're going to talk about, you know, what's going on with Tom Cruise and what's his character's name? Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt. And uh, all of the death-defying, daring-do- Boy, say that 10 times fast, that that he accomplishes in his impossible movies. But before we dive into our conversation today, just a few housekeeping details. If you haven't done so already, we would love it if you subscribe to The Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review too. Those reviews help people know what they can expect from The Plugged In Show. So with no further ado, let's hear what author David Murrow has to say as he talks to Paul AC about how we find a life preserver when it feels like we're drowning in screen time. Hi, I'm Paul Acey, and I'm here with David Murrow. Uh, He's worked on the television business for more than four decades, which makes him something of an expert on screens. But his latest book, Drowning in Screen Time, really sounds an alarm that we're spending way too much time with them. Welcome, David. Good to be here. In your book, you talk about how uh, how ubiquitous these screens are, right? Mm-hmm. You had a, a stunning stat in the book where we spend 11 years collectively of our lives looking at our phones. It, it, that's that's just a tremendous, tremendous number. And it really draws us away from, from a lot of other things in our lives that are way more important, right? Yeah, the stat is, is this was before the pandemic. In 2019, Nielsen Media Research did a survey and they found that the average american spends nine hours a day looking at screens 
Incredible. Practically every free moment we have. And you think about it, you know, we're 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 in an airplane, we're waiting for the plane to take off, we're on our screens. We're at a bank in the waiting in line, we're on our screens, we're in the grocery store waiting to check out, we're on our screens. We're filling in those empty spaces that we used to use for brain rest, for contemplation, for prayer. Mm-hmm. All yeah. those things are being displaced by screen time. And we've seen the attendant rise in uh, depression, anxiety, because we're not letting our brains rest. Yeah. And we're not talking to God anymore. Yeah, yeah. I thought that one of the parables in your book, and mm-hmm. one of the ones that struck me the most, gets right to that point. The idea of a bowl full of ping pong balls, mm-hmm. right? And you pour water in, and it fills in all the spaces between the ping pong balls, but eventually some of those balls, they float out of the bowl. And that's kind of what you're saying screen time does. It fills in those empty spaces when we're in the bathroom, when we're waiting for the plane, but it pushes out things that are more important yeah. to us, right? Those empty spaces are really important. That's when our brain rests. I mean, imagine you if you were going to walk for nine hours, you'd be exhausted. Your muscles in your legs would be shattered, right? <laughs> our brain is a muscle. It's an organ. It needs time to rest. And we are never allowing them to rest. And I, I believe, you know, everybody's blaming the anxiety on this or that, you know, the rise in anxiety. Sure. I think brain rest, it, it's a biochemical thing as much as a, a, a sociological or spiritual thing. Yeah, It's yeah. not what we're seeing necessarily. It's how many hours we're devoting to that. And we're never letting our brains settle down. Uh, contemplation, meditation, the the things that have been that are central to our faith as believers. Yeah, we're, we don't have time for those things anymore because we've got to check the latest status on Instagram or play that next round of Candy Crush. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, I mean, you're pretty transparent about about your own. I, I guess you would say struggles with screen time, right? You even you even sort of mention you lead off the book that that maybe the book we owe words with friends this book in a way. Because... Oh my goodness! <laughs> Can you walk us through that journey a little bit? Well, I grew up in a screen addicted home in the 1960s. My dad, if if the Murrows were home and awake, the TV was on. <laughs> so I hated that. I became a Christian when I was 15, and part of my commitment to God was to watch less TV. It was only TV in those days, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, So and that worked pretty well until laptops came along with Wi-Fi and my dad's TV, you know, that I hated only brought in a few channels. Well, my Wi-Fi enabled power book brought in thousands of channels and I became as as addicted or more addicted than he was. Mm -hmm. And it was so bad that my family had to take me aside and say, Dad, you're not even present. My kids are growing up in front of me in the room. They're playing, they're fighting, they're you know doing all things. And I'm in my house absorbing all the trivia that the internet has to offer. Yeah, yeah. And so I had to have a really serious talk with God and with my counselor, with a counselor who helped me uh, extract myself from my screens, mm-hmm. my wife. And eventually I had it conquered. I thought I had it done. And then somebody sent me a link to words with friends because <laughs> I had this new thing in my pocket called an iPhone. Mm-hmm. An iPhone is more than a phone. Oh man, It's a supercomputer. And so I started playing words with friends and I thought, okay, you know, no big deal. It's five, 10 minutes here. And I got my screen time report. I had used 11 hours that week playing this stupid word game. That's incredible. It just creeps up on you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my I'm definitely talking to you from the point of, uh, of a view of a sinner, <laughs> of a fellow <laughs> sinner. But, you know, having worked in the media business for 40 years, I also wanted to pull the curtain back mm-hmm. on what people – I'm in the screen addiction business. My mm-hmm. job is to produce screen content that you watch. <laughs> So I'm giving you kind of in the book, I'm kind of giving you an insider's account of 
how we addict people, how we hook people, and how you can unhook yourself. Yeah, yeah. And that's so critical because it's getting harder and harder to do. Even as I'm sitting here, I'm, I have this Apple Watch on. And every day when I'm trying to read my Bible, trying to have my quiet time, it tells me just how much exercise I got the day before. It just taps mm-hmm. you on the wrist to tell you. Um, these computers, these machines that we have with us all the time, they make it really, really compelling to keep looking at them constantly, right? Um, the Bible says we're supposed to fix our eyes upon Jesus, uh, and our eyes are fixed upon our phones nine hours a day or yeah. our various devices. In the book, I say that um, screens have become the object of our worship. Yeah. What you look at is what you are worshiping. So we have a big idolatry problem here. We, I think a lot of us are afraid to encounter real life because we've spent so much time in screen life. In screen, one of my parables that I talk about is the parable of King David. And he grows up as a humble shepherd boy with a very simple life. And then he's elevated to king and he's given a castle. And he's given a guard to protect him. And there's walls to protect him. And he's given a harem of beautiful women and any food he could desire. And I parallel all these things to the screen world. In the real world, we have very little power. But in the screen world, we have a harem of beautiful women who will come and, you know what I'm saying? Well, absolutely. Perform, give us every desire. Mm -hmm. We can order any food we want. We can uh, censor any ideas that um, we find offensive or we can cancel We can send people out for execution, as it were. We can dox them. Um, We can communicate with anybody. We have spies out all the time looking for intelligence for us. I mean, it's just we are the kings of our digital realms. Yeah. And just as King David was ruined, if you read the last third of his life, Mm -hmm. it's an absolute train wreck. We are being ruined by our digital kingdoms. We are locking ourselves in our kingdoms and because we have control. Right. Or the illusion of control. But I think the screens are actually controlling us. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you you see that day after day, week after week. Um, in the business that I'm in, at Plugged In, we hear about it all the time. And honestly, the work that we do <laughs> forces us to really absorb a lot of screen time. We're in front of screens all the time. And you can see the attraction. Um, one of the things that you point out in the book that I, I thought was pretty uh, revelatory is the idea that the screens are sort of, they sort of allow us to jump into what is really an even greater societal problem, which is the idea that we just have more access to everything. Mm -hmm. You know, we have more choices than we ever had, Mm -hmm. more, as you were just talking about, we can do whatever we want. We are truly kings in this world in in Mm -hmm. a way that King David never would have imagined. Screens sort of aid and abet that a little bit, don't they? I don't know if you've ever seen that movie uh, from the mid-2000s, Bruce Almighty. Oh, yes. All right. So all of a sudden, Bruce, this TV reporter, is given all the powers of God. Uh, Morgan Freeman plays God. Great role, right? (laughs) If anybody's going to be God, it's Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Morgan Freeman says, you want to be God? You're God. (laughs) And it ruins him. Yeah. Here's the thing. We are meant, Jesus told us very clearly, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's what we have to do. Okay. When we take on God-like powers, when we start worrying about the world's affairs, Mm -hmm. we're doing God's job. Mm -hmm. God's job is to worry about politics. God's job is to worry about tsunamis in Sri Lanka. (laughs) God takes care of these things, right? right? Our job is to love the people around us. But if you are looking at a screen nine hours a day, you don't even see the people around you. They're not there. 
you can't pray for people you can't see. Oh, if you don't true. know your neighbor, you can't witness to them. You can't minister to them. Yeah. And that's the tragedy of our day. We have born again Christians, people filled with God's spirit who are on the Fox News channel all day long <laughs> doing yeah. God's doing God's work. Right. Worrying about politics and world <laughs> affairs while their job, go love your neighbor, is going undone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. Um we obviously have a lot of parents in our audience who, you know, the number one of the number one concerns that they have in their entire lives for their kids is the amount of time they spend on screens. Uh, you obviously know all the stats as far as the screen time for kids. But but what your story sort of illustrates uh, is is that really it starts with parents, right? Um, so many kids feel neglected because their parents are always looking at their phones. And I would imagine that parents really need to be, before they start thinking about their kids' screen time, is think about their own. Yeah. yeah. Uh, kids are going to do what they see us doing, not what, you know, do as I did, not as I said, is how it works. So if, you are, if you're a screen addict, if you're uh, taking selfies of everything, if you're trying to win Instagram all the time, uh, practice being present in the moment. Here, here's the standard I give to parents. If your kids are in the room, the screens are off. The phone gets put down, the iPad gets down, and the TV gets turned off, unless you're specifically watching a show with them. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, family movie nights, great. Pop up the corn, have a good time. But if the TV's just mindlessly on playing ads for Medicare Part B and hearing aids, turn the darn thing <laughs> off and um, just be with your kids. They grow up very fast, mm. like a whoosh, they're gone. Yeah. So um, spend that time with the kids, pull your eyes away from the screen and be with them and it will pay huge dividends. That's step one. Yeah, yeah. When you're talking to parents who are trying to get a handle on their own screen time, you have a great parable toward the end of the book where it talks about these four brothers mm -hmm. who are dealing with their own forms of screen management or screen abuse. Let's, can I tell a story myself? Absolutely. All right. So there are four brothers who lived on a farm. And uh, the farm came upon hard times and had to be sold. Now, while they were living on the farm, they just ate farm foods. And they were all in good health, a lot of exercise, a lot of real, you know, farm living. So then they go to the city where they discover all these different new exotic foods. So the four brothers, I'm going to try to remember their names. <laughs> Moderate Mike mm -hmm. continues to eat the same foods he always did on the farm in moderate portions. And then there is excessive Eddie who ate the same foods, but in big portions. And then there was Dishonorable Dan, who discovered sweets and cakes and all these <laughs> things that made him really sick. And then there was Addicted Albert, who went completely hog wild. <laughs> so, Just did too much of everything. Too much of everything. Good stuff, bad stuff, didn't matter. He put it in his mouth. <laughs> all right. So in this parable, foods represent screen time. We can have, we can be like moderate Mike. We can use screens for their noble purposes and in moderation, and they're not going to harm us that much. Mm. Okay, We can be like excessive Eddie. We can use screen times for noble purposes, but we use too much screen time. I think Christians often think that, well, if, as long as there's no sex or violence or bad words and I can watch something for seven hours. No, you can't. <laughs> You're displacing your, your brain rest, your time with God, your meditation, your attention is gone. Mm -hmm. You can be like Dishonorable Dan, and you can find that stuff on the Internet that is dragging your character down and will eventually kill you, if not physically, spiritually. Or you can be like Addicted Albert and go whole hog. <laughs> 
So that that's the, the meaning of that parable. And I ask people when I speak, which which brother are you? And that's the decision point where hopefully a lot, where a lot of people start to evaluate their screen time. Yeah. And they say, you know, I need to be moderate, Mike. I need to use screens, but I need to use them in not in moderation for noble purposes. Yeah. I would think that one of the problems that we have, because we make we are really great at making excuses for ourselves. Right. It would seem that that probably a lot of people, even if they have a serious screen problem, they would consider themselves moderate, Mike. How is there a way that you can sort of encourage people to look sincerely and honestly at their screen time to to really understand whether they they need to maybe pull back? Well, the key word is understand. You Mm -hmm. have to understand what's happening. When you pick up a screen, your brain is wired for novelty. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you see something new, you are rewarded with a squirt of the hormone dopamine, right? It's the same thing like if you uh, had a glass of wine or took some, you know, psychotropic drug or something. It's it's really, it's the same mm. area of your brain that mm. gets stimulated. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to the level of, you know, getting high or something. Sure. But it's still doing that to your brain. So what you have to do is learn to recognize that feeling and recognize that it is artificial and start fighting back. Mm. Um, I mean, it starts, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but it starts with prayer. Yeah. You know, I said, God, I'm sorry. Repent. I'm sorry I'm giving so much of my time over this meaningless trivia on Instagram. I need to give more of my time to, I need to, I need to build something valuable with my life. And I want you to do that. A, a prayer of repentance is where it starts. Yeah. And then recognizing what's happening in your brain. You're being manipulated. You know, the media is trotting out one wolf after another, one new thing after another. Why do you think new ideas like transgenderism and and these things have caught fire in our culture? Because they're novel. Mm -hmm. They play on our brain's need for something new. And so people fall for it. They say, oh, it's new. It must be good because it feels so good to, you know, to see this rainbow flag or any of these other things. And so people are, are absorbing this. And they're bringing it into the real world, and it's it's harming yeah. them. Yeah, boy, ain't that the truth? That's that is a really fantastic point. So, so if you fall into the line, and we won't go through all of them because I know we just don't have time. But I would imagine that a lot of a lot of Christians, a lot of parents who are listening to this, they fall into the realm of of excessive eddy, right? They're yeah. using, they're not doing inappropriate things with no. their screens, but they might be using them too much. Do you have advice for how to pull back a little bit? Okay, so I, what you just said is wrong. <laughs> they did a confidential poll of church-going men, and three qu- mm. three quarters of them have looked at a pornographic yep. image in the last month. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying they're hardcore users. These might have been things that popped up on the screen. But I'm saying probably half the men in your church struggle with sexual imagery online. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's amazing. So we we have a lot of um, addicted Alberts, and we have some dishonorable Dans among us in mm. the church. Okay, mm. but back to your point, excessive Eddie. Let's say you are not really looking at the bad stuff, but you're still looking at a lot of stuff. So what do you do to cut back? Is that was that your question? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it starts with realization. It starts with repentance, and then it starts with accountability. Um, you have to just admit to someone who's important to you that, hey, I really want to pull back on this thing. And then, believe it or not, the same devices that addict us can also help us overcome that addiction. Hmm. There are a number of screen uh, time monitoring programs that will tell you how long you're on. 
Every Apple device ships with a, a, a screen time monitor. Every Sunday morning, I'm sitting in church and bing. <laughs> it always hits when I'm in church. You know, is that is that Steve Jobs from the grave? I don't just, know. Just tapping you on the shoulder. Um, yeah. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> don't talk, don't pay attention in church. It's me, your Apple device. No, but but the the report comes on Sunday morning. It's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it gives me a a summary of what I did during the week, and mm-hmm. I'm able to see. And I'm going, oh man, I got out of I got out of whack on that one. And then there are also devices that you can put on your, there's one, an app called Forest. And you download this app, pay them two bucks or something like that. And then what happens is, is when you pick up your phone, it's growing a tree. Oh, wow. Interesting. And if you, and if you mm-hmm. open the phone, you kill the tree. <laughs> and, you're, and you're able to, you're able to set the amount of time that you're not using your phone. Because the average person, the average uh, phone user, I think they pick their phone up like 119 times a day or something. Oh my it's some huge, It's some huge man, number. Man, oh man. So if you can cut that down to 20 times, right. you're going to be much more engaged in real life. So don't kill the tree. Don't kill the tree. Yeah. Yeah. It, guilt is a huge motivator. You don't yeah. want to kill the tree. Right, yeah. That uses psychology to help us do the right thing. Yeah. So, um, so there's spiritual answers, there's also psychological answers. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, and obviously, with our listener base, when they are concerned with screen time, one of the one of the great uh, metaphors that you use for screen time, especially when it comes with kids, is you compare screens with Sauron's ring <laughs> from the Lord of the Rings. I just thought that was so perfect. And I, I just wanted you to unpack kind of why you compared it to, to Sauron's ring. All right. So all of you have seen The Lord of the Rings. What happens when Frodo puts the ring on his finger? What does he do? He vanishes. He vanishes. Okay. Parents use screen time like this golden (laughs) ring of power. They're in the store. The kid's crying. You hand them your phone. They vanish. You got to get work done at home. You turn on cable TV. They vanish. You make your kids disappear. But two bad things happen. Remember, Gollum wore the ring all the time. And what happened to Gollum? Not good things. My precious. <laughs> right? He turned into this ugly, disfigured creature. Yeah. Why did he do that? Because he spent time in the presence of evil. And when your kids get unmonitored screen time or excessive screen time, you see, when you put on the ring, Sauron can see where you are. Right? When you give your kids excessive or unmonitored screen time, you open them up to advertisers who want their money, extremists who want their mind, and predators who want their bodies. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a terrifying world. I, I think the parents have a much harder job today than they did back when when I was raising my own kids. Mm-hmm. The, the screens were there, but they weren't nearly as ubiquitous. They what, weren't nearly... what decade was that? Uh, that was back in the 1990s is when my kids were born. So they were yeah, in the early too. 2000s. Yeah. Um, the smartphones just weren't quite as huge of a deal as they are now. Well, no. The, I mean, the first iPhone came out in 2007. Right. So by then, my son was already out the door. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get iPhones till they were already out the door. Mm-hmm. What my kids were into is they were into CD video games, mm-hmm. which were closed in. But they mm-hmm. also started with a product called MSN Messenger. Mm-hmm. And they could message their friends. That was the first interactive. Um, that's where the, the dam began to break. And I had to be careful because my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, a predator popped on posing oh, as one goodness. of her friends. And she says, Daddy, look at this guy. Is this is this really Ray from my class? And I'm looking at this. No, this is not Ray. 
offering to, you know, mm. violate you. Man. So, I mean, it, it started, it, you know, we had a warning about this. It was called the telephone. <laughs> 1876, okay? Alexander Bell, Graham Bell, invents this new communications technology called the telephone. And for the first time in human history, people are able to speak to each other anonymously over a long distance. Well, what happened? 99% of it was fine. 1% was crank phone calls, you know, or obscene phone calls. Well, we knew that if you give people unlimited, long-distance, anonymous access to each other, predators are going to use that channel. And that's what's happening right now. Um, there's a company called Bark that does uh, research into they – they try to catch predators, and they do these uh, filtering software mm -hmm. for parents. Um, they have researchers that they'll pose as 11-year-old girls or something like that. And within minutes, Goodness. they're being sent pictures, men's pictures of genitals, videos of men doing sexual acts. These 11-year-old girls. Mm. I mean, our screen, if, if we don't monitor what's going on on these screens or we just hand our screens to our kids and then trust them, it's not that we don't trust them. Right. Predators used to come in through an unlocked door. Now they come in through an unmonitored device. Yeah. Yeah. And and parents just don't really have necessarily have the confidence to know how to how to lock that door. Right. And and I, I think you would be the first to admit you talk about it in your book. You know, screens are not bad. The Internet is not mm. in itself a bad thing, but so many bad things can happen because of it. Yeah. How do parents mitigate that badness how do they how do they sort of keep control of their kids screen time and make sure that they stay safe while they're while they're online well i mean <laughs> get your own house and orders first thing second thing is is you want to avoid as long as possible giving them their own screens i see little kids you know with kids tablets mm -hmm. and actually there was a study done in 2011 one percent of kids had their own tablets by 2019 almost 50 percent had their own tablets mm. so what we've done is we've trained a generation of children to go to these devices the minute they're bored, <laughs> you know, wrecking yeah. their creativity. Yeah. Yeah. But so you don't want to do that. You really want to postpone this as long as possible. You want to install uh, filtering and monitoring software at the router level mm. that uh, there are products from Circle, Bark, I think Disney has one um, that will let you know if your child is accessing inappropriate information, sinful content, um, divisive content or whatever, mm -hmm. you can set it up different ways depending on you know what you're trying to look for. So take the time, do that, um, but postpone it as long as possible. Oh, and then let your kids know that until they are out of the house, every screen in the house is yours. It's not theirs. And you have 100% access to it all the time. So they know. Yeah, they know. Yeah, and if they say they don't, if they're not going to give it to you, you cut their service off. I mean, you just you say this yeah. is the way it is, and yeah. this is not because I don't trust you. It's because I don't trust. There's a lot of deceitful stuff out there, and people are getting you know really waylaid by this stuff, and I don't want you to be the next victim. Yeah, you also recommend as as parents have done from time immemorial, having quote unquote the talk. You recommend mm -hmm. that they have tech talks with their kids yeah. at certain points in their life, right? Yeah, the first one would come about eight years old. You know, it's really hard because they probably haven't seen pornography, but they're getting ready to. Their friends are going to have it or they may have seen it by accident. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be really honest. You're, if you see an image of a naked person or something and you're going to feel interested in that because it's curious. Right, right. Right. And so what I want you to do is tell me. 
And if you do, I'll take you out for an ice cream cone. <laughs> you know, give them give mm-hmm. them an incentive to rat rat out their friends or whatever. <laughs> because you've got to know that this stuff is coming. And then yeah. you've got to have the explanation. You've got to say, look, these things are put up there by people who want to harm you. And they want to give you a wrong impression about what sex is and, and you know, these sorts of things. And um, they will take you down a path that's going to ruin you. Mm. So don't go there. Yeah, yeah. David, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. The book is called Drowning in Screen Time. It is a fun read, despite the the topic, the heavy topic. It's a fast read. It's really informative. Um, I really enjoyed our talk today. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for having me. Well, joining me for our second segment are Jonathan McKee and Paul Acey. And since we're going to be talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, that's a that's a big title. You need a big movie poster for a title that big. I thought I would lead into our conversation with this. What is your favorite Tom Cruise stunt and why? And there's only one rule. <laughs> Jonathan, um, Tom Cruise saying you complete me and Jerry Maguire does not count as a stunt. So you don't get to pick that one. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry. Man. Got to okay, pick I a real men- stunt, not an emotional I men- stunt. I won't mention his best movie. But I will right? mention, though, there, you know, there's so many good choices here. And, I mean, when you even say Mission Impossible, I mean, think about this. How many movie, you know, lots of, you know, movie, like, franchises when you get a bunch of, you know, you sometimes have the same director in every one. This one's kind of interesting. I mean, you start with De Palma, then you go to John Woo, which in his own way, even the guy's good director, even though his stunts are kind of <laughs> over the top at times. You know, you go to Brad Bird. I mean, Brad Bird. I mean, Brad so it's Bird. an interesting, you Pixar know, fame. you've got a lot of choices there. Um, as much as I'd love to say the John Woo, you know, two bikes flying towards each other in the air. Oh, and, that was in fantastic. Air, which is kind of like a crouching tiger move in a way. It was, uh, totally. I I'm, was totally thinking I'm, that. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say the best Tom Cruise stunt ever was in The Outsiders. Tom Cruise oh. was trying to keep up with all the other guys and everybody was like, you know, wanting to do everything. And he was barely in it, you know, just a little bit. And he goes up to Patrick Swayze um, and says, hey, man, I want to I want that first scene. I want to do a backflip. And so Patrick Swayze kind of gave him some coaching and stuff. He goes, okay. So on this one scene, they didn't even know he was going to do it. Only Patrick Swayze knew he was going to do it. They're like getting out of the house. They're all pumped up and they're walking. He gets up on the hood of a car and he backflips off the car. It's a subtle little scene. He does it. And, and like it was his first attempt ever at it. Boom. He did it in the moment. I think right then that is what made him realize, I can do this stuff. I'm going to hold on to a plane someday. Right. So I don't know. That's my favorite. You had, that, you had me at backflip. Yeah, that's my See favorite. See what I did there? Yeah, you did. Good, good reference there. <laughs> Paul? My goodness. You know, I think uh, for me, Tom Cruise's most amazing stunt is the fact that he's still doing some of this stuff at 61 years old. <laughs> that is the most I mean, that's stuff. ridiculous. That's no, I was doing big some stuff. big stuff. I was Crazy stuff. I was doing some baseboard, you know, molding around my house. <laughs> I does that qualify as a stunt for you? I don't know where you. this is going. It I was, love it. There's all, he does crazy this, stunts. Let me tell you, I was this doing baseboard was, molding no, around no, no, my no. house. So I, woke, I got up this morning and I walked, I walked to the bathroom like I was 85 years old. 85 years old. I am younger than Tom Cruise and he is jumping off of mountaintops Everything. on bikes. And so all that said, I think my favorite Tom Cruise stunt, because it just seems so ridiculous. Sometimes I think, no, this has got to be a lie. It would be a, it would be him holding his breath 
for six and a half six and a half minutes, minutes. in Rogue Nation. Yes, Mission and Impossible. It's like Rogue, one shot. One shot. That's ridiculous. It's I, crazy. When I was taking swimming lessons, I had to hold my breath for twenty <laughs> seconds. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Six and a half minutes. That's oh, ridiculous. It's insane. It's oh insane. My goodness. So I have a two-part answer here. I I just this is not my stunt that I'm picking, but I think it. Oh, so you're getting an extra stunt? Uh, oh my! So goodness. in the most recent we one, which Paul is going to tell us about in a minute, um, Tom Cruise literally motorcycles off a cliff and then has a parachute, uh, which is a little bit like the Spy Who Loved Me because we saw that back in 1977. Yeah, but Roger yeah. Moore wasn't Roger, doing that. Roger Moore was actually not doing it. It was he a, was not it was doing a, that. A stunt man not making as much money as Roger Moore. That is correct. However, here was the thing that I mean: how can you not like Tom Cruise? I know we could talk about Scientology, and there are some reasons not to. But <laughs> did you guys see this story? He said we're going to do this this motorcycle jump scene the first day of shooting because <laughs> if I die, I don't want to have shot the whole movie and then die shooting this scene and have to figure out how to fix the movie. If I die in this in this scene. You yeah, don't you should either do you it first or last. Not you don't have to do the movie. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm totally not exaggerating. You guys can look this up on the interwebs because it will, it will confirm that I did not make this story. <laughs> on the interwebs. The interwebs. Um, that he's like, hey, you know, we should do this one first because it could kill me. And, and we don't want that. Uh, but, you know, if, if case sera, sera. Like there's this cavalier, devil may care kind of attitude. And it's crazy, right? It is crazy. It is crazy. From what I understand, the Mission Impossible movies are actually designed around these stunts, right? They don't even know the story that they want to tell until they figure out, okay, so we want to do this and this and this in the movie. We want Tom Cruise hanging off the edge (laughs) of a cliff by his fingertips. An airplane flying. Exactly. And even if they CGI'd the rope holding him out, he was still hanging on to that airplane as it took off. Well, and it's, it's also not my stunt. I haven't gotten to my answer yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. my goodness. <laughs> so do you guys know what a halo jump is? Yes. What is it, Paul? I have no idea. Yeah. That's a, is, it's it a, the, like, is it the off the dam one? No, no. The, no, a okay. halo, that's a free. I was thinking tandem yeah. jump, but that is definitely not yeah. what you're going for. There's another word for that. What is a halo jump? A okay. halo jump, that's a military acronym for high altitude, low opening. So that's when they want to insert special agent seals and stuff. They literally jump out of an airplane with like entirely like astronaut gear on, right? A complete breathing system. Because they can jump at like 30,000 feet. And then low opening is they wait till they're almost on the ground to pop the chute. So that's a halo jump. And lots can go wrong, okay? The normal people don't do halo jumps. No. But Tom Cruise. Not a normal person. So they did one of these for the last um, Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible Fallout. They wanted to get it just right. So not only did Tom Cruise do the halo jump, they did it 106 times to get the shot. What? Again, the interwebs confirms. Not exaggerating. Oh, my goodness. So 106 high-altitude jumps. And, and all of them have a degree of risk involved. Things can go wrong. I mean, his commitment to getting things right, it kind of shames me a little bit as a Christian. Like, not to over-spiritualize here, and we haven't even started talking about the movie yet, but <laughs> um, like Tom Cruise is absolutely committed 
to nailing the vision for whatever these crazy stunts are. And he lays it all on the line. It's kind of incredible. It really is. And inspiring, despite the Scientology thing. In a curious sort of way, it is. You know, the things that he does for for these particular movies, it is sort of astounding. And it really pays off, I think. You know, there's a lot of these things now that could be done with CGI. Right. He doesn't even have to do this stuff. We talked about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. You could see that there was some CGI involved in there. When you see it live, when you see it in real action, a real person doing these things, there's an authenticity that comes across on the screen. Yeah. You know that this feels real. Because it is. Because it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's scene, talk yeah. about the movie. Now that we've spent like eight minutes talking about our favorite stunts. Now, I will say that the segue from my question into the conversation here is, these are kind of set piece movies, mm-hmm. right? They're yeah. stories that are built around these absurd things that Tom Cruise does. But there is a story. So tell us, Paul, what we need to know and what parents should be aware of. Well, you know, this is actually sort of a plugged in type of story in a really? strange sort of way. Yeah, because we talk a lot about technology. We've been talking a lot, even on this podcast, about AI. Essentially, the main bad guy here isn't a guy or lady at all it is it is an ai it is a rogue ai that has sort of gone off on its own and it's doing some dastardly things around the world i do hate me some dastardly ai dastardly (laughs) ai yeah so essentially the ai this entity is what they call it can infiltrate any sort of security system in any nation on the world right they're trying to uh, essentially. There's a lot of countries that want to capture this AI, figure out what the code is, so they Aha. can control it. Put him in a cage. Exactly. They want they want it to be sort of like Hulk and the Avengers, right? Right. You know, cage it and and use it for their own nefarious purposes. <laughs> Ethan, of course, the the hero from the Mission Impossible movies, knows that no one should have that kind of power. So he wants to capture it and destroy it, which means that he's sort of working for the United States, but sort of rogue on his own as well. Mm. Uh, So that's... Which is why he has to ride motorcycles off cliffs, I'm guessing. That is exactly why. (laughs) Never mind the environmental impact of that poor motorcycle (laughs) hitting somebody down below who's just herding sheep and not... We're getting off target. Minding their own business. What about the sheep? Below? <laughs> Collateral damage. Oh my goodness! I'm sure they. I'm sure they checked to make sure there weren't any no sheep, sheep down below. No sheep. No. Were, were motorcycle bombed in this but movie? But what if they had to do that stunt over again? I mean, how many motorcycles could they have gone I through? I think they only did it once. I think they only did how it many once. Motorcycles? Anyway, anyway, so that's that is Gave the story their lives. here. So we're we're talking about a PG-13 action movie. What kind of content? Do people need to be aware of if you haven't seen the first seven movies? If you haven't seen this, well, that's going to be hard to say because they're exactly like the first seven movies. Okay. In terms of the content, uh, <laughs> you're going to have a lot of action. You're going to have a lot of mayhem, uh, fighting, uh, shooting, sometimes killing. You do have some people die in this movie, including uh, a, and, motorcycle. <laughs> a motorcycle. <laughs> Spoiler warning. A lot of motorcycle Spoiler warning. carnage. A motorcycle gave its life. A motorcycle was injured film. in the filming of this movie. <laughs> Sorry. It was. So you do have you do have some of those issues to navigate. But that's sort of expected in a Mission Impossible yeah. movie, right? Uh, one thing that was not expected, you have this scene in sort of this nightclub type of thing and there's a whole bunch of dancers that 
it's it's in a dark area, but I was thinking as I was watching the movie, are those do they have any clothes on? Mm. So I think so that it's they like were... a normal nightclub then. <laughs> so there was there and was that's another podcast for another that's time. That's another podcast for another time. So I think that they were wearing something, but it was very, very tight. So there was a little uncertainty as to whether they were wearing things. And and so you're gonna have to deal with a little bit of sensuality, right? Okay. It's one the one scene um, there is some mild swearing, I would say. You don't have any huge, uh, huge profanities that you're dealing with, but but essentially what you would what we talked about in in Dial of Destiny, you okay. have some some milder curse words that you're going to have to navigate. So, any big philosophical takeaway? Like, is there anything to talk about other than can you believe he jumped off the mountain on that poor motorcycle? Well, there is in that it's because it's dealing with this this entity this computerized entity all of mission impossible uh the whole all of the movies have essentially been dependent on their use of technology yeah. to get what they want to get done when you can't trust that technology what do you do the world is changing truth is vanishing war is coming so this movie sort of plays around with that. And I think that was that was an interesting element to this because by watching it, you can see how dependent we all are mm. on our screens, on our computers, on what uh, our worlds are sort of built on the technology that we've made available to us. And when that technology goes rogue, as it literally does here, mm. you know, where where are you left with? Well, I think that's a good place to stick the landing. <laughs> All right, Paul, thanks for bringing us up to speed on <laughs> Mission bet. Impossible Dead Reckoning, part one of six, seven? No, probably just two, right? I'm thinking just two, but who knows? Who All knows? Right. And so we'll be back in a couple of years to talk about part two. <laughs> thanks, Paul. You bet. Well, now it's time for a game we call Pop Culture Connection, wherein we are joined by Ashley, our producer. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Adam. And she gives us pop culture related questions. And our goal, gentlemen, participants, is not quality answers, but quantity. That's right. This is a game right. of numbers. Yep. It's not a game of thrones, but it is a game of numbers. Ashley, take it away. All right, Paul. Oh, first. no. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All, right, All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. Do you prefer happily ever after stories or tragic endings and why? Oh man, you know I do. I like my happily ever after stories because I don't sure. like to go home crying. You know, I think that that's just sort of a bummer thing to have happen to you. I like happily ever after stories because I feel like they reflect uh, our own happily ever after story as Christians. You know, we know the ending. We know that it's happily ever will. after, even in the midst of all the tragedy that we have to deal with every day. It makes me feel good. I like to see the. Ooh. That was really good. I mean, but you got Jesus in. Right. So Paul, Paul always I, goes for quality instead of quantity. I know. Yes. I do think that he might win on a technicality this time. I think so. Because yeah. they make us yeah. think about our own happy endings. That's right. That was pretty good. <laughs> that was great. That was good. All was right. Intense. I got four points, but again. All right. We'll see if I get any bonus were, points at the end. They were really nice they points. They were. They were. Really nice points. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam. All right. Who do you think is the best actress of all time and why? Ooh. Oh, it's got to be Meryl Streep. 
right? Because she's been in like so many big movies. Now, when push comes to shove and you ask me to start naming Meryl Streep movies, that's where things get a little bit more dicey for me. But we have... Uh, uh, I know into she's the been woods. into the woods. Mama thank, Mia. Thank you. See, now Ashley is helping me <laughs> because I have backed myself into a corner. Now I was Sophie's trying to think choice. of Sophie's choice. Exactly. You guys are making my points for me. Uh, China syndrome. Yeah, I think I got one point. Okay. Meryl Streep, and that's the end. Yeah. That's, this is the epitome of quality over quantity. And now Jonathan will show us how to play the game. Did we I get one for me? Did I get one? Well, with down. all of our help, I, I accumulated five. Oh, good. Good. So, I'm going to take it. Yeah. Yeah. I do. It's still my answer, even though I, I didn't have a, a bunch of Meryl Streep movies like on the tip of my brain. That's all right. Ooh. <sighs> I went for the musicals. So. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that Into the Woods. Yeah. Mamma Mama Mia. Mia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just demonstrates her versatility. Indeed. There you go. All right. Jonathan. Yes. This is one of my favorite questions. For sure. Who do you consider to be the best TV show character from the 70s and why? Oh. Definitely the Fonzie because he wore a leather jacket because he was cool because he said, hey, because he would slap things when they didn't work and they always would work then because he rode a motorcycle, except for that last time that really stunk. He had all the coolest <laughs> friends, except for that red haired guy who wasn't really that cool. He was also like, you know, friends with Ron Howard. I mean, let's step aside for real quick. I mean, that's an awesome thing. He hung out by a jukebox all the time. Shark. The guy mastered. Shark. I mean, yeah, he, he did jump a shark. But I mean, that's not what made him really cool, you know. So, so you know, when we're playing with Jonathan, it, it makes me feel like, you know, we're, we all might be college basketball players, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And LeBron James steps on the court. Well, I mean, it's it sort of feels like the metaphor I would use is... The processor I'm using is like six generations old. And Jonathan has the fastest, shiniest new processor because it's like, yeah. it's oh. not total recall, it's instant recall. Well, I couldn't think of a single Meryl Streep movie and look at what Jonathan just did to, de to, de you know, to demonstrate his well, mastery he, of this game. Ay. But then, but then he, you just make things up too, which is impressive <laughs> okay, in its own right. All, so <laughs> he rakes leaves with his web. So as an That's aside, still my favorite how moment. How many points did he get? I got nine. Yeah, oh, yeah. that feels about right. Man. So my wife and I were watching the Hallmark Channel as we are wont to do from time to time. Actually, she watches it and I sit down because she's there. And Henry Winkler was in a movie. Oh wow! A romance movie on the Hallmark Channel, and I thought, man, Fonzie's royalties have finally run out, <laughs> and poor Henry Winkler feels compelled to make Hallmark movies. Do you know what his name was on the movie? The Ralph. Fonz. Ralph. 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 And oh I'm my like, mm, I, this feels a little bit meta. <laughs> you know, me. it's fascinating to see Henry Winkler because he can still act, mm -hmm. but he does totally different roles. And it's hard to it's hard to think back to the 70s when he was the coolest The epitome dude. of right. cool. Yeah. Well, and if you see him now, he's this very sweet man. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. when you look back at Fonzie... Totally different. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah, yeah. Totally so different. funny. It is funny. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll raise a glass huzzah to the Fonz. A glass of coffee, I might <laughs> raise add. Raise a thumb. <laughs> hey. 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 All right. Well, thanks again for taking some time to join us today. What did you think of Paul's conversation with David Murrow? Did it give you some things to think about in your life and your relationship with screens? Speaking of screens, are you planning on seeing Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? 
Or are you just going to go figure out where Happy Days is streaming and watch Fonzie jump a shark? Whatever your answers are to those questions, we want to hear from you. And you might be asking, well, how do I let you know what I think of those questions? Here's how you can connect with us. You can always find us on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And we also want to remind you, we've got two relatively new-ish ways that you can connect with us as well. At thepluggedinshow.com, you can leave us a voicemail and we might even use it on the show. Just look for the vertical voicemail tab on the right-hand side of the page. And then each Monday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time, we're live on Instagram for what we call the Plugged In Show Aftercast. Each week, we'll recap comments related to the last show, preview next week's show, and talk about what happened with the movie box office the previous weekend. Be sure to follow us and turn on notifications so you'll get a reminder when we go live on Instagram at Plugged In Team each week. And I'd also like to remind you that Plugged In is a part of the ministry of Focus on the Family. We're here to help you navigate the crazy world of media and entertainment for your children and loved ones. But we couldn't do that without your financial support. So when you donate to Focus on the Family today, a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of David Murrow's book, Drowning in Screen Time. You'll find info on how to do that in the episode notes for today's show. Well, as always, we want to thank you for spending time with The Plugged In Show this week. We know you have lots of ways you could spend your time, and we hope that our conversation has been encouraging, entertaining, and maybe giving you something to think about this week as you ponder the relationship that your family has with entertainment and pop culture. And as always, we look forward to another conversation next week on The Plugged In Show. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the back seat. It's tough to be a step ahead. In full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.